0: but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, and you endure, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. John 831 36 So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for this time that we have to worship you and be in your word. Pray that during this time you bless Brian as he speaks and that you would show us truth. You would speak truth to us that we would no longer be slaves but that we would know freedom, that we know freedom in you and that we just understand it at a deeper level, that we could live in that freedom that you're calling us to. We love you, Jesus, and pray all these things in your name amen
1: all right good morning everyone and uh, just invite you to have your Bible open this morning uh, Joel read kind of a large part of first uh, Peter chapter 2 and I'm going to uh, summarize it and give you just as as brief as I can, what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. And the key verse uh, this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, which says, Live as people who are free. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. <clears throat> and so I want to talk uh, this morning to you about living as free servants, and not as slaves to self. And so that's, my <clears throat> that's the direction I want to go, um, that Jesus Christ has called his followers to live as free servants, not as slaves to self. And there's a, a lot here this morning, and uh, I'll tell you that I got stuck this week on one word, and the word was FREEDOM. And I think it's it's valuable for us for a few moments uh, this morning to think about the word freedom, and and what that actually means for our lives. You know, often if we hear that word, we think of our uh, maybe our Bill of Rights. We think that we have the right to free speech and the right to gather together and press and all these kinds of things. So I'm not talking about political freedom this morning. I'm talking to you about moral freedom or the freedom you have as a as a person as an individual and to think really carefully about what this means, and then even specifically what Peter is talking about when he says that he is calling us, Jesus is calling us to live as free servants, to be a free servant. What does that mean? I do think that one of the the hesitations today um, about Christianity is that by becoming a Christian, you will lose some of your personal freedoms, that some people are hesitant about following Christ because that would take away um, some of my options in life and that's something that we hold on to dearly um, in our culture today Um, I want to give you two sources uh, as we think about this word freedom and how I try to um, understand uh, how culture defines that word today okay so I'm going to uh, quote from the New York Times and then I'm going to quote from a Disney movie and, uh, and they intersect, okay? So, I think there are several myths about freedom and one of the myths that we think about is that freedom is just the absence or the removal of restrictions on my life. If I can take away any restrictions on my life and I can just be free to do whatever I want with my life, then I'm truly a free person. And Disney says something similar, and uh, an op-ed from New York Times says something similar. I'll quote that. But we'll start with Disney. We'll start easy first, all right? Now, this is from Frozen. And I I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but I've never seen this movie. And I'm not sure if it's because I have three boys or what. But I do, I don't know, maybe my boys have seen it a lot, and I just, like, go hide in the bedroom. I don't know. (laughs) But there's a great song, and the reason why I didn't play it, here's why I didn't play it is because if you just notice during break time, it's really hard for some of you to stop talking. <laughs> and if I play the song, you would all just start singing it really loud, and that would be the end of my sermon time. So we're going to quote it instead, all right? And this, this speaks, all right, Now, right, we've got to we gotta get past Disney, but this speaks to our culture today. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through no right or wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now, we gotta, we got to think a little bit. And is that really the definition that you want for freedom? Is that really what it means to be free? That there's no right or wrong, there's no rules. I'm just free to do whatever I want. All right, so that's, that's from Disney. There was an op-ed. Um, from the new york times it's a couple years old but it's from a guy named david brooks and the title of his writing was called the age of possibility which is very similar and he writes this at some point over the past generation people around the world entered into what might be called the age of possibility key sentence people have become intolerant of anything that might close off their personal options people have become intolerant intolerant of any arrangement that might close off their personal options the transformation he writes has been liberating its leading to some pretty astounding changes for example for centuries most human societies forcefully guided people into two-parent families today that sort of family is increasingly uh, is increasingly seen as just one option among many and he goes on and and I won't quote all the details, but he gives several specific examples of how this impacts um, or how this has changed our culture. And one of the things, just a few things, one of the things though he notices is that the amount of people that are living by themselves has skyrocketed. I think he, he writes in 1950, 9% of Americans live by themselves. Today it's almost 30% of Americans live by themselves. And so this idea, I can't have anything in my life that might Take away my choice, I don't want any commitments in my life that might prevent me from doing what I want. And here's one really bold statement that that he wrote down, it's from the National Institute of Population and Society, um, a research um, company in Japan, and they wrote this, under the social and economic systems of developed countries, the cost of a child outweighs the child's usefulness that children now the that, that, that children limit your options in life okay now I'll tell you the truth they do they do a lot a, a whole like I've said this before getting married is really fun and it's just easy but when you have children it just changes things a little bit and and the more you have or a lot I guess I've got a sweet wife that does a lot he writes a lot and so here's my point is, is that this New York Times writer, David Brooks, he's trying to break down and trying to think carefully about freedom. And really, is this age of possibility that we can do anything we want, is that really how we want to live? And I'll finish up with this. He writes this, My view is that the age of possibility is based on a misconception. We need to think about this. This is not the Bible speaking. This is just some man writing, a really smart guy, writing for the New York Times, and saying that the way... Of living your life, that I want to be free, that nothing can stop me from my choices. That this, my view, that this age of possibility is based on a misconception. People are not better off when they are given maximum personal freedom to do what they want. And that's what you need to think about. This myth about freedom, that maximum freedom is that. I'm better off in my life if I can just do whatever I want. I can come and go as I please. He says this. They're better off, people are better off when they are enshrouded in commitments that transcend personal choice. And he writes this. The commitments to what? To family, to God, to craft, and to country. That's his opinion. And it it, it was noteworthy. Because it's very similar to what Jesus Christ talks about when he talks about freedom. I got stuck on this word, uh, freedom, and, and thinking about it um, this week because I, I so closely identify with that, um, that attitude. And I particularly, at least I hope this is true, but I think maybe in my 20s, at the high point of my life, that was like my mantra. Like, I just want, you know, I graduated from college and I was just trying to figure out life and I just wanted to do what I want to do. I just, And for me at that time, uh, you know, I was living in Washington and I just wanted to go find new places to surf up there. I just wanted to go explore. And I was building houses, I was helping do construction at the time. And I remember asking my boss up, up there if I could start work at 6 in the morning and be done at 2.30 30 so I could go surf every afternoon. Because up there, where I was living, you'd have to drive an hour and a half, two hours, to go find surf. And uh, most of the time it was flat, and and so you'd spend half time driving. But my point is this. I'm going to orchestrate my life. I'm going to arrange my life everything around the possibility and the options so I can go surf, so I can go do what I want to do. And I'm telling you, it it honestly led to, to emptiness. And I think we need to be really thoughtful people and be able to be discerning as far as the message of culture around us. This idea that you just do what you want to do. And that is maximum freedom. And so I came across an article, um, and I'll just share briefly, um, that helps us understand what freedom is. And it was a guy, uh, his name was Kurt Bullas, and he spoke at Urbana. A christian conferences from a few years ago and he writes this most people have in mind the absence of restrictions when they think of freedom we are free when we are able to do what we like choose what we want decide for ourselves but this kind of definition this definition of freedom is dangerously deceptive in its simplicity fighting for this kind of freedom cannot help us can help can help to keep us out from under the thumb of tyrants but at its core The understanding of freedom turns out to be slavery. He writes this defining slavery, that freedom, instead of being the lack of limits and the absence of constraints, is submitting ourselves to the limit of our nature. I'll say that one more time. Freedom is submitting ourselves to the limits of our nature. You know, one way to think about this, and I don't know who originally said this, was the idea of a fish. We know that fish live in, in, in water, and they take in oxygen through their, um, their gills, and that's how they, their bodies work. And, you know, if there was this one fish one time that said, you know what? I'm tired of living within these restrictions. All the people conform. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go live on the grass, right? And it right, doesn't work. It's obviously kind of a silly thing. But you are not free fish. Don't have the freedom to live outside of water. So freedom, ha- we have to begin thinking about freedom that has to connect and to our nature, to who we are. Um, a couple days ago, uh, Lockwood and I went for a paddle and uh, just a little ways north of Trankus Creek, we were paddling and, and we saw what I thought was trash in the water and it turned out to be a turtle. And I haven't seen a turtle in a really long, a big turtle and we get up close to it and I thought we thought it was dead because it wasn't moving, and it was so Lockwood. Um, he look, grabs one arm, and kind of flops down, and looked like it was sleeping, but his, his eyes were open. And so, we're, and Lockwood is very sweet. He's like, "Man, maybe we should paddle in and, and go call that number, and uh, to, to rescue the turtles." Very soft, sensitive side there is to Lockwood. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that. Um, but then, what? Here's what happened. He he grabbed it and turned it upside down for a second or two and you know what happened when he turned it upside down? He didn't like it and he swam away. He swam away. So here's, here's my point. God created turtles not to be upside down. They don't like it. Right, right? Think about a turtle. They got their belly. They've got nothing there to protect them. Freedom is connected to our nature to how god created us god did not create you to think that you can live independent of him and live with freedom so freedom is the idea of understanding having the right constraints in your life it's not the removal of all restraints it's knowing which ones to live with and going back to kurt bullis for one second he writes this that and he's connecting this to the fish story the fish needs water to breathe we need air to breathe but more at a more foundational level our nature can best be defined by one simple and confounding fact that we are caused by something outside of ourselves that's who we are that's our nature that God created us to live in relation with him And that has to do with a major problem in how people live their lives today, how we need to be thoughtful, that that God created us to live with in him. One or two more examples, and, and, and just to think through this for a second, as far as thinking through freedom, how we just naturally think that it's just no restrictions in my life. And I'm saying, that's not how you live your life. We actually... We actually live our lives with lots of restrictions. If you are a, um, a 60-year-old man and you go to the doctor for a checkup, and he finds out that you have high blood pressure, and says uh, cool it on the potato chips, and exercise more, and take this medicine, then, you'll be, then your blood pressure would go down. And so you restrict your diet, you restrict your laziness, and you're going to be active and healthy for a greater freedom, the freedom of health, right? Um, I think this is still true today as far as a guideline by the Surgeon General, I looked it up, but if you are a woman here and you are thinking, um, and, and I'll say this, if you are a woman here and you occasionally drink alcohol and you enjoy that, but sometime in the future you get pregnant, you are going to limit that freedom. According to the CDC, they are still saying that there is no known safe amount of alcohol to drink during pregnancy you are going to restrict a freedom for the health of your baby. Mm -hmm. If you want to graduate from college, you're you're going to restrict the amount of surfing you do. (laughs) You're going to restrict the amount of fun time you do if you want to graduate. So we have something within us. We understand this. But we need to think about how this um, applies to our spiritual lives and how this applies to um, other areas of our life. Let me give you uh, another example, and, and think through the complexity of freedom. Um, one of the unfortunate things that I've had to walk through, and, and this is be true of just about any pastor with people, is the uh, is walking through adultery with people. All right, and, that, and this gets uh, quite a bit more serious than a fish story. But it's something that we need to think through, and think through how desires. That we have within us conflict so we have desires within us all of us have desires and conflicting desires um, have an impact on freedom let me give you an example of what I mean Um, no one wants to be thought of as a deceitful person no one wants to be thought of somebody who lies or doesn't have integrity or who is not faithful um, we, want, we want to be known as a faithful spouse or a person of integrity. So we have this desire. We don't, I, I, want, I want to be an honest person. I want to be faithful to my spouse. I, do, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to do this horrible thing. That's one desire. Another desire is this this person makes me feel so special. This person that I might have an affair with makes me feel wonderful inside. I've never had these kinds of feelings before. Now, if we apply, now you've got these two desires. Now, if we apply, let's go back to Disney for one second. Can we do that, Russell, go back to our Disney quote? You've got these conflicting desires. And we have freedom. And if we we apply this cultural attitude towards freedom, think about where things might end up. No right, no wrong. No rules for me. I'm free. Do you see how freedom gets more complicated? Freedom gets complicated because of conflicting desires within all of us. And so when I read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says this, that you are to live as free servants. I'm like, free servants? I'm, I don't even know if people really know what it means to be free. What does that mean to be free? And so what I want us to do is I want us to turn to the Gospel of John for just a moment and to to help us understand it, and then we'll finish up with some application um, from 1 Peter. So John chapter 8, and the words of Jesus will um, help us understand this a little bit. I won't read it again, but a couple of observations. Number one is this, is that according to the words of Jesus, he says this, that sin brings people into slavery. The opposite of, of freedom. This is John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus says this, Jesus answered them, speaking to the religious people, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. <clears throat> that means that, that sin is your master. Everyone who, so that, that I, was, I started thinking about that. And if we, <clears throat> if we, live our lives by self-rule, then we become a slave to ourselves. And if we think about this carefully, a slave to my own selfish desires, where does that lead to? I was reading uh, this week um, a book, and I'm just summarizing some of the thoughts, and, and talking about how if we live our lives as a slave to self, what are the things that control our lives? And just a few thoughts if you are the master of your life these things this list I'm going to read have the potential to control your life and the author wrote this if independence is your master you won't make commitments if more than anything else I want to be free and independent to do what I want when I want you can check your life on this right now you don't want to make commitments to anyone You don't want to make a commitment at work to go above and beyond. You don't want to make a commitment to your boyfriend or girlfriend to go beyond dating. You don't want to make a commitment to church. You don't want to make a commitment to to friends. Why? Because I need my independence. I need my freedom. I need to come and go as I want. If gluttony is your master, all you do is consume. We think of gluttony and how it's just connected to food, and I just want to take that word and expand it beyond that that we live in a culture of consumers and think about how that connects to Disney's definition of freedom no right no wrong I'm gonna do what feels good to me and if it means consuming and not serving that's where I'm at in my life right now if envy is your master you resent the success of others if greed is your master you're continually grasping for more more attention more power more money if anger is your master your mind is stuck on people you're angry at think about that for a second if anger is your master your mind is preoccupied with that person that you are angry at if pride is your master you have an exaggerated sense of your own self-importance if lust is your master you believe others exist to satisfy your desires if lust is your master you believe other people exist to satisfy your desires and you will have conflicting desires you will have really good desires and you will have sinful desires if melancholy is your master you are indifferent to the purpose of life Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the sin that Jesus is talking about is this idea of self-centeredness, that we become a slave to self. What is the solution? John chapter 8, verse 31, we'll go up a few verses. Jesus says this, so Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus states this clearly, that there's some connection between truth and freedom. Jesus says that truth brings freedom, and that God created you to live with him as the center of your life. Jesus says that sin becomes a master. And so we have to think carefully about who will be the master of our lives. Is it self? And thinking through the implications of that, if self is the master of our lives, does that truly lead to freedom? Jesus says that if you abide in his word, you are truly his disciples and that truth will set you free. So freedom, let me think about this for a second. Does freedom, or excuse me, does freedom a personal relationship with Jesus Christ lead to restrictions in your life or does it lead to more freedom in your life and it's a hard question because the short answer is yes the long answer is no does following Jesus Christ lead to more restrictions in your life yes because you're gonna say no to your sinful desires But it will ultimately lead to more freedom because Jesus Christ says that I have come that you might have life. And so thinking through this, what does it really mean to be free? And so Peter, when he's writing this letter, he's writing to people who have a new heart in Christ. And that is the question for um, those of you here, maybe you're thinking through Christianity and you're thinking, "Ah, I kind of like it, but my big concern is that it's going to bring restrictions into my life. And the question is, then, are you truly living a life of freedom by self-rule? By you being the master of your life, by you being the governor of your life, are you experiencing true freedom? Or is your life being dominated and controlled by anxiety and fear or envy or greed or anger, all these things that can creep into our lives? Jesus says that the key to thinking through this is that in verse 31 that you abide in my word that truly you are my disciples Um, that has to do with um, developing a lifestyle of freedom that's connected to discipline Uh, abiding in the words of Christ is something that does not just happen accidentally came across a story this week just to, to illustrate just how important habits are and habits of saying no to something greater. I think I've shared this years ago, but I came across a story about a guy who was in jail for hit and run. And a, a news reporter interviewed him, and he, the, the reporter asked him, about how could you just do this? How could you hit, and I think it was a child, how can you hit a child and just drive away? And the guy told a story about when he was a kid that um, he was uh, in his parents' room, I think with his brothers or a couple friends, and he accidentally broke his dad's watch. And his dad came in and found it and, and came and talked to the boys. And the boy, for whatever reason, he doesn't say why, but he said, I lied to my dad about the watch. I don't know if he was afraid or why he lied, but he lied to his dad about the watch. And then he said, you know what? Um, That kind of worked for me, he said. And so he started lying more and more and more. And he said, I just developed this lifestyle of lying. And when this big tragic thing happened in my life, the easiest thing for me to do was to lie and run away. To lie and run. And Jesus is saying this, if you abide in my word, if you develop this habit of pursuing a relationship with me, of pursuing Jesus Christ, I will set you free; that you will experience freedom for the first time. Um, it's easy; it's easy to de- fall into habits, right? Habits that that lead to slavery. And I remember; I, I think I've shared this before, but I remember um, that my mom uh, saved me um, from when I was a kid uh, over this lying thing, and not. Not to say that I'm like the, the perfect man of integrity all the time, but my mom broke me of lying when I was a kid. And I, um, I I was I think I was a little bit odd as a child because I was actually really nice, but I just did some stupid things. And I remember like that we had if, if you if I thought you were a mean person, like I'd find a way to get you. And I, we had a neighbor, so we all, we all lived in an area with, with our friends. You could walk to people's houses. And we had one guy, he just wasn't very nice to us. And so one night, uh, oh, this is really, really dumb, but we, just, we thought we'd light firecrackers in the middle of the night and throw them at his house. <laughs> and so after, I don't know how many, it didn't take too many, where he, he, he caught me. And all my friends ran, and I always got caught. And... Um, <laughs> So he called the police, and the police came and took me home and, uh, and all this stuff. And, and um, my, mom, my mom made me go back and apologize and admit that I had done something really dumb. And I was like, no. I, don't know, I was like maybe 13 or 14, and I'm like, I'm not going to do it. And here, this, is, this is human nature, right? No, I'm not going to do it. And I don't, whatever it is for you, and it's different. You know, I was 13 or 14, and, but we still have these things in our life where we are very stubborn people. We're very prideful people. And hopefully, as parents, that we have the strength to, to break pride in our kids. But my mom, um, I don't remember the exact words, but it was harsh. Like, grab the arm, and you're going to get your body in the car. <laughs> and you're going to go apologize. And there was just, you know, there was just a, a no nonsense. And, and what was hanging over it was that <clears throat> if you don't, you're not going to California. <clears throat> and get to go surf and hang out with, with your uncle and do all that kind of stuff. That, all I want to do is surf. You're not going to do that if you don't. And so I went and apologized. And um, what happened was this guy was the nicest guy in the world. And he became, we became friends. But um, my, my point is this it's really hard to change. We're stubborn people. And even if you've been a Christian for a while, it's hard to change. And so the words of Christ are this, if you abide in my words, we have to say no to certain freedoms that we have to say yes to a greater freedom. If you abide in my word, you have to say yes to spending time in God's word and praying that you would develop Um, a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That means you're going to say no to something else. You're going to say no, maybe for some of us, you're going to say no to work. Maybe you need to work 10 minutes less or 20 minutes less or study 20 minutes less and say, Lord Jesus, speak to me. I want to abide in your word. I want the freedom that comes from walking with you. And that creates a greater freedom. So my point this morning is that there are myths about freedom. And this idea that no restrictions, I'm going to do whatever I want, I'm saying that's a myth. That God created you to live in a relationship with Him. And by doing that, create structure in your life so that true freedom can flourish and you can experience genuine freedom. And it's in that, now it'd be a bummer if that was the introduction, right? I got another half hour. I'm not going to do that. But (laughs) here's... Let's go back to 2nd Peter for excuse me 1st Peter chapter 2 and read these words again 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 16 live as people who are free live as people who are free remember Peter was a disciple of Christ live as free people and we'll explain this more another uh, next Sunday but the context then is this you will show your freedom by submitting to the authority, to the governing authorities. That is chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, where Peter writes this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That means you follow the rules if you're a fisherman to what the state of California has said. And if it's too small, you throw it back. Right? And if you don't like the person that was elected governor or senator or president, Peter says this still. He says to honor We're still to honor people, even the people we don't like. I'm being super quick on this. So that is the first chunk of 13 through 17. Next, he talks about how we are to be people who use our freedom to endure mistreatment. We are to be people who use our freedom in Christ to endure mistreatment. And um, I came across a a, a really neat story and... um, So I'm going to show you just a short video to just like communicates it better than I can explain it to you, and then I'll finish with a few thoughts. But this is a story about a young woman, and maybe you've heard of her. Um, She was six years old in 1960, and Ruby, what's your last name, Scott? Uh, What? Bridges. Ruby Bridges. Bridges, All right, was an African American girl, six years old, and I want to. I want you to think about this, about enduring suffering for a greater good. And I, I wonder how how easily we just get tied up in knots inside when people mistreat us. And like just demand our rights, and you're not treating me the way I should be. And and then and then watch this. And talk or think about who you are in Christ and how that empowers you to endure mistreatment, and then the impact of that, okay? It's just a couple minutes. Last thing is, I forgot, the context is this. This is a Harvard psychologist who came and and interviewed Ruby, because they were concerned about Ruby, uh, who was being escorted to school every day by US marshals, all right? This is New Orleans, 1960. And I think the context will speak for itself.
2: New Orleans was a flame racial hate and street violence. They were trying to desegregate two elementary schools and this little girl was ordered by a federal judge to go into one of them. And she was there all by herself. The whole white population had boycotted the school. No other children with her. And I happened to see this little child going into a school in New Orleans at the age of six to the first grade I thought to myself, I would like to know that child. I'd like to know what's happening to her. One day, having now spent months getting to know Ruby and being rather puzzled at how normal and stoic and strong she was, going through this kind of living hell, 200 people waiting at 8.30 in the morning to tell her they were going to kill her, 200 people in the afternoon telling her they were going to kill her, 25 federal marshals taking her into that building, What would you expect? You'd expect that a child going through that would pretty soon start developing symptoms and be in trouble. I waited and waited, and there weren't any symptoms, and she kept going and learning and being the ruby that she was, a normal six-year-old black child, very poor background, parents didn't even know how to read and write. Humble people. One day, her school teacher said to me, that she'd been looking out of the window, and she saw Ruby yet again coming to school. This time, she watched carefully, and she noticed that as Ruby was walking past this mob of heckling men and women, she stopped, and the teacher saw her lips moving. I said, Ruby, your teacher told me today that uh, she saw you talking to those people on the street. She said to me, Doctor, I told her that I wasn't talking to the people. I said, well, who were you talking to, Ruby? She said, I told her I was talking to God. Could you tell us, uh, tell our audience uh, why you took them out? Because I didn't want them to go to school with the niggas. Why were you praying to God? She said, I was praying for the people in the street. I said, why were you doing that, Ruby? And she said, uh, well, because I wanted to pray for them. I said, you did want to pray for them? Yes, she said. I said, Ruby, why would you want to pray for those people? And then she looked at me and her eyes widened. She said, well, don't you think they need praying for? That stopped me cold. Where did she get that idea, Ruby? She said, well, my mommy and daddy have told me that and the minister told me that in church. She said, I pray for them every morning and I pray for them every afternoon when I go home. I say for the mothers to keep their kids out of school. All together, we're, no, we're white people, we don't want them to go to school with niggas. I have five and they're not going to school with no niggas. But I said, Ruby, those people are so mean to you, and they're so nasty to you. You must have some other feelings toward them besides wanting to pray for them. She said, I just keep praying for them, and I just hope that God will be good to them. I said, what do you say in the prayer, Ruby? I always say the same thing. What's that, Ruby? Well, I always say, please, dear God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, I'd heard that someplace before. And I heard it in that kitchen, in that extremely impoverished house And it silenced me. I had no more questions to ask.
1: Peter says, live as people who are free. As free servants. Not as people who are slaves to self. Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is you if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It's... Uh It's impactful, the power of enduring suffering. And think about where we are today, of how we snap at people, we bite at people for being mistreated. And here's little Ruby, a six-year-old girl who literally had death threats against her daily. It's It's a fascinating and a horrifying story. Parents uh, took their kids out of school. So this one teacher who was a Christian woman taught Ruby the whole year by herself because no white kids would go to school with her. And she prayed for him. Peter is talking about something unique and powerful that comes when we live as free people, that when we understand who Jesus Christ is and what he offers us. And it comes down to understanding the word freedom. Who is, going to live, who is going to lead your life? Who is going to be the one that you submit your life to? If it's to self, it leads to slavery and to bondage. If it's Jesus Christ, it leads to freedom. Uh, my, my hope is that we would be people who are thoughtful people, that we understand and are willing to wrestle with the words of Christ and to ask ourselves, are you truly free? Or do other things dominate you? Does pride dominate you? Does independence dominate you? Does your self-centeredness dominate you? Do these things control you? Are you truly experiencing the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ? My hope is that as we finish and conclude our time in prayer, that there be a thoughtfulness, uh, a quietness to reflect in our hearts and to enjoy worship and to enjoy the time uh, that we have together reflecting on who Jesus Christ is. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come to you this morning and we, we ask your Holy Spirit would be a part of our time here, that your Spirit would speak truth into our hearts, that you would um, dislodge any stubbornness in our lives, that you would create um, a, a genuine freedom that comes only from knowing your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, uh, awaken our hearts to truth, to abiding in you, to loving you, to walking uh, in your ways. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.